The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Have your Bibles if you want to take those out. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 will be our, our focus this morning. I'm always thankful for people who are encouragers, something that I struggle with at times, but have people come up to me at times and say, Pastor, man, that, that sermon was, was great. We really appreciated it. And last week I had a few people come up to me and were thankful for the service last week. And I thought, well, I don't know, seemed normal to me. It seemed like all of them. Uh, and I had one say, hopefully next week's is, <clears throat> is just as good, which put the pressure on a little bit. And then I got a text a little bit ago that my son was out there telling people, Dad's sermon's not going to be that good today. <laughs> Don't know why he thinks that. Hopefully he's not a prophet. <clears throat> we'll do our best this morning to honor God's word. John chapter 15, verse uh, 1 through 17 will be our, our focus. Kind of skipped over John 14, mainly just for time purposes, but I would encourage you to read John chapter 14, where Christ begins to talk to his disciples and really comfort them because of what lies ahead. And that's what we'll be looking at as well this morning. But you have some very famous passages in John chapter 14, and I don't want to spend time reading in them, but, but one of them is one that I remember from my childhood growing up here in this church. I remember Pastor Damon quoting these verses so many times right at the beginning of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know in the way that you know. And then he goes on to tell Thomas in a little bit, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so I want to encourage you to read John chapter 14 on your own and, and study that. But we'll be in John 15, verses 1 through 17. So follow along with me as I read them this morning. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. I have no doubt in my mind that most of you in here have heard this passage before. You know of it, you're well acquainted with it as well. And so it is good for us to come back to it. And I hope that you find that true this morning. As we look at chapter 15, one of the things that I want us to notice and that we're going to be doing as we walk through this together is chapter 15, verse 1 through verse about 8, some might say all the way to 11, is then really explained for us in verses 12 through 17. Now, this wasn't something that I've, I've heard very commonly in this passage, but I do think that it brings it together for us very nicely. And so we're going to do our best to do that this morning. We really could spend a lot of time on the very first verse because we see Jesus say some very big truths in the very first verse. He says, I am the true vine. I want to stop there. And this will be our, our first point this morning. The fact that Jesus is the true vine. What, is, what does Jesus mean when he is saying this? And why does he talk about this? Well, I think the first thing that we must realize actually then takes us back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, we see all kinds of scripture passages that talk about Israel as the vine, as God's vine, as God's chosen vine. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 7 through 17, listen to what the psalmist says. <clears throat> he says, restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. And for the son whom you made strong for yourself, they have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. So we, we see very clearly in this psalm that it is being said of Israel that Israel is this vine that the Lord has planted, that God has planted, right? He brought it out of Egypt. You planted it. But then we see destruction happening and things taking place there. Now, this isn't the only place. We also see this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. We see it in Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah chapter 12. We see it in Ezekiel numerous times, chapter 15, chapter 17, and also in Hosea chapter 10. And so as Jesus speaks to his disciples here, this would be ringing in their ear as they hear Jesus make this great statement that he says, I am the true vine. Now, the first two words of that are actually very important because throughout the gospel of John, Jesus has said some statements and it started with, I am. 
He's so far, this is, this is the last I am statement that he says in John, but he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the truth and the life. And now he says, I am the vine. You might be saying, well, why is that so important? What's so important about Jesus saying, I am this or I am that? Well, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is boldly declaring and saying the two words, I am, he's boldly declaring his deity. What he's telling his disciples is, I am God. I am God in the flesh. And this harkens back to the time of Moses. In Moses, if you look in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, It says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses says, God, what's your name? What, What should I tell them? This is how God replies in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. That's how God has declared himself to Moses and how God declared himself to Israel is he says, I am. Moses, just go tell them that I am has sent you. And now what we have in the gospel of John is we have Jesus standing before his disciples, before other people at different times and making these bold statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Saying God is the way, the truth, and life. Me, I am. I am he. I am the one that Moses asked about. It is me. But what he is also doing here, because he doesn't just say I am, but he says I am the vine. And so he's all, what he's also doing is he's saying, I am what Israel has been pointing to. I am what Israel has been pointing to all along. This, this vine that had been talked about in the Old Testament that God brought out of Egypt, that God had planted that we see so often, and you can go back and read the passages that I told you, they disobey, they get destroyed, God brings back up. We see this numerous times in the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, while Israel would disobey, while Israel would fall short, I am the true vine who does not fall short. I am the true vine that will succeed in everything that my father wants me to do and has a desire for me to do. This had been the plan for all of eternity. It was the fulfillment of all the prophecy before. That is what Jesus is. It's not, it's, it's not a situation where God looks down and says, you know, I chose Israel. They just didn't meet it up what I wanted them to do. Therefore, I'm going to have a different plan. That's not what we have happening here. This was the plan all along. The plan was for Jesus to be the true vine, that Israel would be pointing people to the Christ, to the Messiah of which Jesus is. Jesus is telling his disciples as he stands there, I am the real source of life. Not your lineage, not your heritage, not the blood that you think runs in your vein. That is not what gives you life. Jesus is telling his disciples I am the vine. I am the source of life. It is me who stands before you. So this is a very big statement that Jesus is making. Only halfway through 
the first verse. As we look at the rest of this passage, what we see happening, what we see taking place is Jesus talks about what it means to bear fruit and what it means to not bear fruit, the difference that takes place there. And so if you look at verses two and you look at verse six, Jesus talks about those people who do not bear fruit. Look at verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And look at verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Now, I think it's important for us to stop at this passage just for a moment to really look at it because there are a few ways that people look at this passage. And maybe you've had a question about this passage as well. There's other passages that are similar to this. Hebrews chapter six has one as well that people who believe that you can lose your faith, people who believe that you can be saved by the grace of God, but then you can lose that for whatever reason. There's different reasons out there that people say. They will sometimes use this passage. They will use a passage in Hebrews as well. And so I want to address this this morning because I do not believe this is true. I believe it's out of line. The one way that we can look at it is what they say. Apostate Christians. Christians who have fallen away, that that's what Jesus is talking about here. People who once were part of the vine, they were a branch within the vine, but they've done something. They don't abide in him anymore, something like that. And so they, they get pruned off, they get, they get cut off. They're not a part of the family anymore. Well, the problem with that is we cannot look at a passage just in this one little small spot. You have to get outside of this passage and you have to Start reading the gospel of John and let's see the whole thrust of the gospel of John because there are many examples in the gospel of John of where John talks specifically about being held onto Christ and you can never be let go, that you can never be separated from him. And so when we see these passages, we can't look at this one in verse two and verse six and say, well, John must have changed his mind. There must be a difference here. No, I mean, look at John... I'll read for you John chapter six, verse 37 through 40. It's Jesus is saying, he says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. There's other passages like that in the gospel of John. I just pulled one of them. But one of the things that we can be certain about that John John is not telling us as we read John chapter 15, verse two and verse six is we can be absolute certain that he is not saying that you can once have faith and then lose it and be cast out by God. That does not happen. Scripturally, we just don't see that take place. Well, then what does it mean? Well, there's some other ideas out there. One is people say, well, this is false believers. What Jesus has in mind here is Judas, who he just dealt with a little bit earlier. We talked about this last week. He would wash Judas's feet. He would have Judas as part of his life for three years. Judas would would hear Jesus teach over and over and over again. He no doubt touched Jesus many different times. He, He saw Jesus heal people. He saw all these miraculous things. But in the end, what do we learn about Judas? He was never a follower of Christ. He was never a believer in Jesus and who Jesus was. 
In fact, he would turn Jesus in. He would betray the Christ because of his greed, because of his love for money, because Jesus wasn't playing out to be exactly what he wanted Jesus to be. And so some would say, this is what this passage is talking about. It's talking about people who've been around the vine. They've maybe even benefited from some things from the vine. But in the end, they really were never Christians at all. Other people would say that what Jesus is talking about here is he's actually talking specifically to the Jews. He's talking to those Jews who would not believe in him, those Jews who would not trust in him. We see this referenced again in Romans chapter 11 with Paul. When Paul would be talking to the Gentiles, which is us, most of us in here are Gentiles. And Paul would look at us and he would say, did you know that you were, you were grafted into this vine? God chose Israel, but, but those branches of, of Jews who didn't believe, they've been broken off and you've been grafted in. Hey, don't get so prideful, Gentiles, to think you're something special. That's what Paul's getting at there in 11. Us Jews kind of came before you and we paved the way. Oh, yeah, there's been some Jews who have disconnected themselves from the vine and you've been grafted in their place. You should thank God for that. Some people would say that this is what Jesus is talking about here. Unbelieving Jews, unrepentant Jews, Jews who would not follow Jesus. I think one thing that we can say for certain is this. There is a warning. Me and Pastor Scott talked about this this week. There is a warning for all of us to push analogies a little too far. When we read an analogy in scripture that even Jesus himself uses, we have to understand that if you keep pushing an analogy, it will eventually fall apart. It eventually is not going to work. And so you can try to push and push and push an analogy, but it's just going to end up being harmful for the whole point of what the analogy is. And one of the things that we must do is step back from chapter 15 and ask the question, what is Jesus's point in all of this? Why is he talking about the vine? Why is he talking about the branches? Why is he talking about abiding in me? And the point of the analogy is very simple. True Christians will be fruitful because they abide in Christ. Non-Christians will not be fruitful because they have no part in him. That's the gist of the analogy. That is the point that Jesus is trying to make. And I want to warn us of trying to push this analogy too far. As we move on, the second half of verse 1, we also see this in verses 3 through 5, also verses 7 through 8. But Jesus gives us the key here to bearing fruit as believers. The very first key, though, is in verse 16. This is why I read all the way to verse 17, and I think this is foundational for us. This is where Jesus is, I believe, telling us what verses 1 through 8 or 1 through 11 mean. Look at verse 16 and what Jesus says to his disciples and also is saying to us, you did not choose me. I got to stop there. We have to realize and we have to understand the truth of this passage. When Jesus is looking at those 12 disciples sitting there at that moment, and they've asked questions like, who is the greatest among us, Jesus? You know, they've been jockeying, obviously, for position all of this time. And as, as the kingdom is coming and they're wondering, where's my place going to be in this kingdom? You know, am I going to sit on his right hand or his left hand? I, I got to have a, 
a special spot here. Jesus now is comforting them because he knows what lies ahead. And he's telling them, you must abide in me if you want to bear fruit. And then he lays this on them in verse 16. And I think it's something that all of us as Christians need to hear to humble ourselves. Jesus tells these disciples, listen, you did not choose me. I chose you. He can look at Matthew and say, Matthew, I came up to you. You weren't chasing me down. Peter, I found you and I drew you to me. You guys weren't looking for me. I was looking for you. The first thing that we have to understand if we are going to bear fruit is we have to be chosen by God to bear fruit. We understand this again to humble us, but we also have to realize that we're not chosen just for humility's sake, but we're also chosen for joy. The fact to think that God, our Father, would choose me makes me joyful. Yes, it is very humbling, but it's also just wells up within me in excitement that, are you kidding me? The God of the universe, for some reason, would look upon Tim, who doesn't have much worth of anything, but would would save me by his grace, would send his son to die on the cross for me? Man, what an amazing thought. It doesn't puff me up. No, it, it humbles me, but in my humility, it also brings me great joy knowing that God would choose me. That God would choose me. And for those of you who've been saved by grace, God has chosen, chosen you. But God would go, but Jesus would go on. We see in verse four through seven, he would say, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Later in verses nine through 10, Jesus would change it a little bit. And he says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He says it a little differently. Abide in me as the vine. And then he says, abide in me in my love. I think what Jesus is talking about is he says, abide in me as the vine. Is he's talking about the fact that he is our source of life. Jesus and Jesus alone can be that for us. Nobody else, nothing else can be our source of life. The thing that we live for must be Christ because everything else will not satisfy. Some of you today are trying that. You're trying to live your life for something. I don't know what it is. It can be esteem. It can be friendship. It can be money. It can be position. It can be a family There's all different kinds of things that it can be, but that is what you live for. I live for this. If you're living for that, you're on a road that leads to failure. You're living your life in a way that only leads to destruction and disappointment. I have been in part of enough family meetings to know that most families do not have the love that they act like they have from the outside. The the Facebook posts that you see that makes it look like that this guy's the best dad ever or that this mom is just absolutely perfect. Can I tell you, it's all lies. It's all lies. Those things fall short. They do not live up to the standard that we need in our life. And what Jesus is saying is, I am your source of life. I am your nourisher. I am your sustainer. Jesus would go so far to say in verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, what happens? He withers. 
It withers away. I'm sure you've seen this before in your yard or whatever. If you cut a stick off of a tree or if you cut a little branch off of your bush and you set it on the ground, it does not take very long for it to wither. Maybe you get a real Christmas tree. I believe real Christians get real Christmas trees, not fake ones. That's just my belief, not scriptural. Okay? But I know this to be true. Those stinking things wither very quickly. And all the needles fall down. All the needles start to fade away. Why? Because it's been cut from its source. It's been cut from its source of life. It's its source of nourishment. And listen, you can try to put it in the little tree stand. You can pour water in there. But the fact of the matter is, it's a goner. It's not going to live. It is dead. It is withering. It is dying. The same goes for us. As we try to live on our own, as we try to live apart from the vine, we too wither. We fade away. Sadly, I hear a lot of Christians, though, speak kind of opposite of this. I feel alive when I'm not at church. I feel alive when I get to go out there and do the things of the world. Man, I really feel like I'm living. Yeah, that's a ploy of Satan. It's instant gratification that fades, that destroys, that withers. There is no nourishment in that. But Jesus would also say, abide in my love. As we faithfully follow Christ, we begin to understand his deep love for us more and more and more. And as we understand his love for us more and more, we rest in this love. Understanding that this love that Christ gives us, it actually never ends. Unlike the love of this world, unlike the love of our family or the love of our friends that seems to fade with time, the love of Christ never fades And because of that, we have great freedom as we abide in his love, as we understand the truths of it, that I don't have to walk around in shame. Why? Because Jesus loves me. I don't have to walk around this world with guilt and and uncertainty. Why? Because I know Jesus loves me. He's promised me that. And so it's something for us to hold on to. It's, again, our source of life. And so as we bear fruit, we have to understand that we've been chosen and that we must abide in him, that we must seek after him. It's pretty interesting that three times in this passage, when talking about abiding in him, when talking about bearing fruit, Jesus brings up prayer three times. Verse 7, verse 8, and verse 16. As we abide in Christ... It says our prayers are answered. Now the question's got to be, how can this be? How can this be? How can our prayers be answered when we abide in Christ? Well, it's very simple. As we abide in Christ, as our vine, as our source of love, our prayers and our life changes for him. Our focus is on him. Our focus is on God's will to be done always. Our focus is on his truths, not our own anymore. I want what he wants. I desire what he desires for my life, for for everything. And now listen, that's a daily struggle. You guys understand that, but that's how it should be. And so as I desire these, my prayer life changes drastically to where I'm not praying just for things that I want, but I'm praying for the things that he wants. That's why I believe it's so important for us to pray scripture. Because as we pray scripture, 
As you read a psalm, let's say, and you let those words soak in and you're, you're repeating those words to God, words that he has given you that you can be assured of, that you can then respond to him through those words. That is called a conversation. I've heard so many Christians say, man, when I pray, it's just one-sided. Well, it's because you're not praying scripture. God has spoken to you through his word. And so prayer cannot be separated from his word. That is why we have truths about prayer, like Philippians 4, 6 through 7, that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look what it says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How does this peace come about? Well, this peace comes about as I understand his word. It's not some magic thing that God gives me. Oh, I feel it all of a sudden. There it is, peace. It doesn't ex- It's not that way. It's as his child, as I seek his face and I'm doing it through his word, I'm seeing the truths of his word and I'm, I'm seeing the promises of his word and the promises that he'll never leave me, that he'll never forsake me. And even though I'm going through something extremely difficult, I know these promises remain and that is then when God gives me peace because I'm reminded of his truths. I'm reminded that this world is messed up. I'm reminded that people are going to die. I'm reminded that I'm going to die. But as I see his truths, I'm also reminded that he conquered death. I'm reminded that he's conquered hell, that he's conquered the grave. I'm reminded that he's given me life eternally. This can only be done through prayer. And so as Jesus is talking about abiding in him, one of the most important things for him to bring up, you think about this, he's only around a couple more hours of his life. And here a little bit later, we'll get to this in a few weeks, he spends a whole chapter praying. He brings up prayer. This should be very challenging for us. And it also should be comforting to us that God our Father and that our Savior wants to speak to us in prayer. Now, this is a pastoral complaint, and I trust that you'll take it this way. So please forgive me uh, if it comes as crude. I, I don't mean it to. But as a church, we set aside a time for prayer on Wednesdays at 6.30. Now, I understand not everybody can come to something like that because of work schedules and different things with kids, and I, I completely understand that. I, I, didn't, I didn't make it this week. I had to have Spencer do it because of one of our children having surgery. So I understand that. But it really breaks my heart when we have a church of, we average about 500 people in here every week. And we say, we're going to have a time of prayer to pray for each other, to seek God's face, to ask him to do a work in this kingdom. You want to know how many people showed up this week? Ten. And I hear things like, well, we're just praying. That's all we're doing. We're not, we're not doing anything else. I don't know what this is accomplishing. We're just praying. Can I just pray at home? Sure. Do you? Do you spend that time at home praying? Is that what's happening? Is that what's taking place? I mean, Jesus would tell us here, he's about to die in a couple hours, and he's saying, abide in me. I am the source. I am the vine. One of the ways this happened is prayer. Be in prayer. Do we take it serious? Again, I can't necessarily determine specifically from people not coming to a prayer meeting that prayer is weak in a church, but I think it does give some sort of insight. 
I know for us as a staff, us as pastors, this has been very challenging for us. We've determined now, and you can pray for us every Monday morning at 8 o'clock, we meet as pastors to pray for each other. We spend time in our staff meeting handing out names of members to pray for them and to write letters to them each and every week. And we have turned Wednesday nights into prayer, not Bible study, but a time of prayer to focus on him. We spend some time reading scripture and praying that scripture. But why do we do that? Because we know that God works through prayer. And he says, if you abide, if you abide in me and you ask of me in verse seven, I will give you what you desire. It shall be done for you. I know for me, my desire is for Monroe Missionary Baptist Church to have an impact in the lives of its members, but also in the lives of those outside these walls to see them one to the gospel by the grace of God. And I believe that can only be done through prayer, on the back of prayer. So we need to be people who pray. Well, what is this fruit that we should bear? We're talking about bearing fruit. What does that mean? Well, I think first it means we abide in Christ. That means daily walking with him. Every day, reading his word, spending time in prayer, being on mission for him, him being our focus, living within our life, the fruits of the spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 uh, and 23, right? The fruits of the spirit. You guys know what they are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits that we should be bearing as Christians. These are the fruits that in your life you should be recognizing. And Jesus is saying, he's asking, do you recognize these in your life? This is a sign that you are in me, that you abide in me. Now listen, you can only answer that yourself as a Christian. I can't do that for you. But when you read those fruits of the Spirit, is that the definition of you? Or at least do you see God working in you towards those things? Listen, we all slip and fall. We all fail at those. I do constantly. But do I see God pressing me in these areas and growing me in these areas? So when we look at fruit, I've often been taught that what Jesus means here is winning people to the Lord. Now that's going to be my next point. But I don't think that that's true, that that's what this is talking about. What this is talking about is are you seeing the nourishment of Christ, our vine, actually filling you as the branch where you are becoming more like Christ every day? That's the fruit that we have to be seeing in our life. That's the question that we must be asking. Doubt seems to be the biggest struggle for most Christians. Doubt in their salvation. Well, here's a way I think for us to see, am I in Christ? Am I seeking after him? Am I seeing him work in me these fruits of the Spirit? But I do think we would be amiss to say that one of the fruits isn't making more disciples. I don't think we can forget that. We are called to make more disciples. As Jesus loves the Father, as the Father loves him, we must love Jesus. And then as we love Jesus, as we abide in him, as we obey him, it will no doubt flow over to us loving each other and also loving people outside these walls for the sake of the gospel. A church that is not evangelistic is a bad church. It's a weak church. A church that does not love the lost and care for the lost and want to share the gospel with them, 
It's not a good church. It's not a healthy church. And so our desire should be to make more disciples. But I also know this, you will never make a disciple if you're not seeing the fruits of the Spirit in your life growing. If you're not abiding in Him like you should be. Well then lastly, I know I'm going long. Maybe this is why my son said it'd be bad. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. I want to end on on a really good note. Jesus tells his disciples, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. See, I've heard, I've heard sermons from this passage before and I leave very discouraged because I think, well, I haven't personally led anybody to the Lord in a while. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I leave wondering. I'm not sure that I'm really in the faith. I, I don't have this huge desire to read my Bible every day. My prayer life has stunk greatly. And so I leave not with verse 11. I leave feeling more like verse 6. Maybe I'm the branch that got cut off. Maybe I'm withering and I'm going to go to hell. That's not my purpose this morning. Jesus says, I say this to you so that your joy may be full. What he wants his disciples to know in this moment is that in the coming days, it's going to be very dark for you. I am going to die. But I am telling you this so that you can have joy even in the midst of that. That if you believe in me, if you abide in me, if you trust me as the way, the truth, and the life, your joy will be sustained. He comforts his disciples to the end. He assures them of their place in him. Listen, things are about to go really bad in this world, but be assured of this, you are mine. Be assured of this, you are mine and I will not let you go. I will actually give you life. I will actually allow you to produce fruit in your life. I will be your source of joy. And today we still have this promise for us. In your life, right now, Jesus knows what lies ahead. He knows exactly what lies ahead for you tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, or whatever it may be. And he knows what you need. He knows you need him. He knows you need to abide in him. His solution, notice this, his solution isn't to tell you the future. His solution here was not to tell the disciples the future. Even though he did that some, didn't he? Peter, you're about to deny me. Right? These things are about to take place. But we might say, God, if you really loved me, why wouldn't you just come and tell me the future so that I knew everything that I should do? Why wouldn't you just lay it all out for me so that I would make all of the right decisions along the way? Well, my answer to that, I think, is pretty simple. If God felt that that would be best for us, he would do that. But what God felt was best for us was this, what Jesus said. If you want to have a fully joyful life, abide in me and trust in me. No matter what you face, no matter what situation may come, know this. I love you. I sustain you. I nourish you. I care for you. I love you. And I will love you all the way through eternity. Why? So that your joy can be made full. That is the best thing that God can give us. And that is what he has given us this morning in Christ.
a way for our joy to remain full. Now, if you're like me, as Christians, we often stumble and we get into these times in our life to where we're not abiding in him like we should. And you know what that feels like. It does not feel good. You start to feel a little little withered. You start to feel like your leaves are dropping off some. Can I tell you this? The vine is still nourishing. Get back on the horse. Get back to prayer. Get back to reading. Get back to encouraging. Get back to being a part of the body of Christ. Because God's word never fails. It achieves all the purposes that it was sent for. I'm going to ask you would bow your head and close your eyes with me. I want to lead us in prayer, give you a time to respond to God's word, and we'll close with a song like we do each week. I know I went a little long this morning. I apologize for that. But I trust that you'll respond to God's word during this time. I know that this has been very timely for me in my life. Just getting away of some of the disciplines that I need to be focused on and feeling the effects of it. And God just kind of in bright neon lights saying, Yeah, this is why. It's not rocket science. So maybe like me, you need to confess before the Lord and repent and to ask him to help you to get back and abiding in him like you should. I know I need that. So I trust that you'll do that this morning if you need to. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, I'm thankful that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, during his time of when he was about to face your wrath, would care about my joy and that it would be full and that we would see these words of his in these pages. God, what kind of love is that? That a man would love us and die for us. That's what Jesus has done. He has died for his friends. And we are his friends if we abide in him. And so, God, I pray for that person here this morning who needs to trust in you as their Savior. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to that truth and that you would save them by your great grace. And I pray that they would come and let me know or let someone on our staff know or let somebody close to them know so that we can rejoice in that, so we can encourage them and share with them some more things. God, I also pray for all of us in here who are Christians, who've been saved by your grace. God, that you would help us to abide in you. Help us to feel that joy and to experience that joy of what it means to rest in you, to abide in your love. God, I thank you that no matter what we face, we know that you're there. We know that you care for us. And we know that you'll never let us go. God, as we sing this song, I pray that it would be praise and worship to you. But I also pray that it would be good and be a time for us to reflect on your word and to respond to it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.